Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Last Moment 17. Let's take a quick break. It'll give us time to look over these documents, Professor Strill said. She smiled down at Joanna, and I'm sure you can use some water. Joanna nodded. She had been speaking about the Mahakam Summit at length for the last hour, and her throat felt scratchy, like when she spent too much time around cats. She could also use a piss, but decided she could hold it in. Joanna walked to the far end of the room and poured herself a glass of water from a ceramic pitcher. She watched the three professors scrutinize the packet of notes and references she had spent days putting together. You're nearly there, Joanna thought. Let's resume, Professor Ladra said, beckoning Joanna forward. She returned beneath the dais. I think, Professor Rondleton said, straightening a few documents on the table, we can discuss the diplomatic details of the summit itself. Of course. Joanna gathered her breath and said, The arrival of the Kedweni delegation on 28 June 1272 officially started the summit. The meeting started the same day. The heads of each delegation met once a day for four hours at a time to discuss general demands while several subcommittees were formed to hash out the details of what was agreed upon. And what was each kingdom's demands going into the summit? Professor Ladra asked. Each kingdom had their own requirements for joining a northern alliance, Joanna said without missing a beat. Broadly speaking, at the start of the summit, Kedwin demanded control of the Pontar Valley from Edirn, Redania wanted overall command of the allied forces, and Sidorus wanted loosened tariffs on all of its exports. Tamaria and Edirn were in a weakened position due to the Nilfgaardian invasion, of course, but both wanted to keep their independence in land, and gain military support from the other kingdoms. Skellige had actually declined the invitation to the summit, but a small, unofficial delegation, led by Crit Drummond, arrived anyway. Crit seemed to have no real demands, other than trying to convince the other kingdoms to force a great and decisive battle against Nilfgaard, a second Battle of Brenna, if you will. Professor Strill chuckled. The biggest initial impasse regarded trade routes, Joanna continued. Sidorus's initial demands of relaxed tariffs on their exports quickly shifted to a relaxation of all trade routes along the Pontar River, which ran across Rodanian, Tamarian, Kedweni, and Adernian borders. Duchess Isabel of Wartburg argued that it would expedite the shipment of material. Edern and Tamaria initially pushed back, but quickly agreed in order to keep talks going. Redania proved to be the biggest obstacle to agreement. What caused this change in Sidarian demands? Professor Rondleton asked. Joanna hesitated. There are a few theories. 
The most prominent is that Duchess Isabel was laying the groundwork for a more open trade policy after the war. Either way, it will benefit Sidorus, Ethramel said. Isabel scratched her cheek, considering. I'll admit it's in the interest of the kingdom, but a relaxation of trade along the Pontar is too strong a demand. There's bound to be pushback. Ethramel only managed to get a private audience with Isabel, with the promise that they would be drinking. But their Mahaka mead was so far untouched. Of course, but I've already spoken with our friend Tobias of Alander from the Temerian delegation, and he signaled an interest in backing you. Oh, have you? I didn't realize you were a politician. Ethramel was surprised himself. He normally would not have involved himself in the affairs of Dwan, especially since the northern kingdoms had no interest in helping his people. But inspiration struck him a few days before, down in the defunct Vidmar Iron Mine. Inspiration that could net him a lot of coin. If he could get the kingdoms to agree to relaxed trade on the Pontar River, he might be able to pull his plan off. At the very least, Ethramel thought, it was nice not to feel aimless anymore. The sorcerer had spent the last two days floating his trade idea amongst his various connections in the delegation, namely Edern and Tamaria. The idea had some traction, he found, but it needed to be Sidorus who officially proposed the idea. Kedwin will be a non-issue on this, Isabel said. Dugedend has lost enough face recently, and he needs to preserve what little political capital he has, fighting for his demands to take the Pontar Valley from Edern. Edern can likely be plied, but Redania will prove more unyielding. Ethramel agreed. He had puzzled over the Redanian issue, and the Redanians were the least forgiving of elves and sorcerers. Still, he waved his hand dismissively. Thankfully, I know someone who has been attending Redanian soirees every night. Our good friend, Carmoniola Magvild of Tamaria. Oh? Isabel eyed the sorcerer with interest. He strikes me as more doctor than politician. Why would he risk his neck fighting for your idea? Ethramel shrugged. I'll blackmail him otherwise. Redania capitulated the point on 3 July 1272, Joanna said. Correspondences dated 30 June and 2 July between Lady Olivia of Tredegor, the head of the Redanian delegation, and King Radovid V indicate that Olivia saw it as an opportunity to strengthen Redania's position of power. Redania had the strongest navy next to Sidorus, and they could more easily bend trade on the Pontar River to their will. King Radovid agreed, but firmly reminded Lady Olivia that she is not to capitulate their demands to command the allied northern forces. You're playing a dangerous game, Ethramel told Carmignola. If any nobles find out the truth, they'll hang you. Carmignola frowned. He was initially surprised when Ethramel asked him to have a drink, given their contentious relationship in Kalmec, but Ethramel's real reasoning became clear quite quickly. Carmignola was to do Ethramel's bidding with Redania, or he would expose the doctor as a fraud. Carmignola had been posing as a Temerian nobleman since he'd entered Mahakam, and so far no one seemed the wiser. He had forged documents of nobility back in Kalmec, but so far no one had asked to see it. This was a relief to the doctor who had been relying on memory to bluster his way through the Magvild family history. After all, he had not seen Duke Sebastian Magvild since their days at Oxenford Academy, but he had learned everything there was to know about House Magvild of Gorsvelin back in those days. Carmignola had saved a dying Sebastian on the side of the road at the age of 16, and Sebastian's father was so grateful that he paid for Carmignola's education at Oxenford Academy. Carmignola and Sebastian, of course, became fast friends. The young doctor attended dozens of feasts at the Magvild Manor after that, supposing as a cousin to Duke Magvild seemed the least risky. 
and Sebastian wouldn't ruin my cover if it ever reaches him, Carmagnola thought, or rather hoped. But if Ethramel exposed him now, he was as good as dead. I'll talk to Celine Matep about the idea, Carmagnola said. She is Lady Olivia's aide. I can't make any promises, though. That's all I ask. Ethramel motioned for the innkeeper for another round of mead. It's not any of my business, but I must know. You've clearly fooled everyone into thinking you're a Temerian noble, but to what purpose? What do you hope to gain? Carmagnola sighed. Look, I know we've not been on the best terms in the past. That's putting it mildly. But I think we have similar goals. You see, I hate most of these noble fucks who think they're better than you, just because they were born with the right blood. They don't care about anyone other than themselves. Ethramel couldn't help but chuckle. So you've decided to become one of them, then? An excellent plan. Only so I can gain their trust. Once I have it, I can work from the inside to change the system. I can look out for the small folk. Not so dissimilar to your goals, is it? It's quite different, actually. I wish for destruction of the Order, not reform, Ethramel said after a moment, but shrugged. Well, either way, if you talk to Redania, I won't blow your cover. Carmignola sighed. He smiled and said, Consider it done. What is this? Professor Ladra pulled a piece of parchment out from the stack and held it at the corner as if it would bite him. A legal contract binding 50 Mahakam workers to Keller Assembly. Explain what this is about. Of course, Joanna said confidently. I was fortunate enough to gain access to Mahakam and use their library for research on the topic. I stumbled across that document quite unexpectedly. It seems production for the Keller Repeating Crossbow first came into being during the summit. Well, isn't that something, Professor Rondledon said with a grin. That weapon changed the war as we know it. Indeed, Joanna said. I tried to find any other documentation about this assembly process, but it seems all the other records are lost. She shrugged. So I threw it in for flavor. Sir Isaac of the Order of the Flaming Rose fired three bolts in rapid succession at the target dummy. Jeremiah had invited him to test the new and improved model and made sure they had the secluded target range outside of Crag Ross to themselves. Sir Isaac hefted the repeating crossbow. It fires quite smoothly. That was the biggest dilemma. Fortunately, I was able to work it out. In truth, it was my guard of Kavir who had invented the small screw needed to solve the problem. It works well enough for me, Sir Isaac said, which means it works well enough for the church. Give me an update on the production. Well, I was able to use the modest sum you loaned me to contract 50 workers, from the small village of Adderd. The village is in disrepair, so most were happy for the work. In fact, everyone in the town of Adderd was hired, though Arnulf the Halfling and Thurzik the Gnome were said to have fled the village quite suddenly. I've managed to secure a deal with a local property owner, and we are using three abandoned shops inside Crag Ross for the assembly. The workers will be divided and shown how to produce only one part of the crossbow. This will keep the design secret, so our enemies won't be able to make it. We should be up and producing within the next week. Sir Isaac nodded. That's good. Secrecy on a weapon like this is of the utmost importance. You're the only one who knows the design, yes? Not quite, Jeremiah thought. Mygard of Kovir and Ezra of Nilfgaard had agreed to help Jeremiah get Keller Assembly up and running. They were invaluable in securing the dwarven contracts. Mygard was enthusiastic about the venture, if only because it put his knowledge to use. Ezra was hesitant at first, but agreed. She needed the money, it seemed. 
Yes, Jeremiah said. I'm the only one. Good. Let's make sure we keep it that way. The church would lose its edge if everyone got their hands on this weapon. Sir Isaac fired three more rapid shots. All three bolts hit the dummy in the head. Professor Ladra scoffed. Another Mahakam contract? And one regarding the school of the bear, despite witchers historically being apolitical. Miss Wernus, was this also added with the rest of your documentation for flavor? Joanna nodded. I never heard of a witcher contract like this one, at least during this time in the north. I thought this document would help show the state the continent was in at this time. Witchers were practically extinct at this point. But this witcher argued that the monster population always spikes after wars due to abundant food and lack of manpower, which meant witchers were more needed than ever. Color me interested, Professor Rondledon said. I always found witchers a fascinating lot. I took a class on their history when I studied here, in fact. Indulge me for a moment, Joanna, and tell me about this. He squinted at the contract. Zevo of Kavir. The throne room wasn't really his. High Thane Bruverhoog's throne was at Mount Carbon, south of Crag Ross, but the dwarf sat on the elevated stone chair like he owned it. The whole room was made of grey stone, and as bare as a mausoleum. A half-dozen Mahakam defenders stood against the walls and entrance, but Zevo had the feeling Hoog wouldn't need their help if it came to a fight. The High Thane was older than Zevo, but age had not diminished his strength. I granted this audience, Witcher, Hoog said in a slow and commanding voice that bounced off the stone walls, because the school of the bear has always been friendly with my dwarven cousins in the Amel Mountains. Your Witcher keep is in the slopes, yes? Or rather, what's left of it these days? I'm afraid there's not much left. Heron Kedek, Zevo's childhood home, was little more now than a crumbling castle. The townsfolk from the nearby village saw to that decades ago. What brings you to me, then? Zevo wished he knew how to articulate it. His fight with the Anapheli in the mines reminded him how easy it was for monsters to multiply when left unchecked. And witchers, Zevo knew from hard experience, were growing scarcer by the year, and seldom had homes to winter in. Someone had to do something about that, Zevo supposed. I have a proposition for you, regarding my school's keep. I believe this war will bring more monsters than we've seen in some time. Fresh corpses are never lacking. My kin will be busy these next few years, and need a place to regain their strength. Hoog's cold eyes pierced through Zevo. He started to realize why so many dwarves spoke ill of the High Thane, once they safely left Mahakam. What is your proposition, boy? I'm looking for financial support from Mahakam to rebuild the Witcher Keep, Heron Kedik. It's fallen into disrepair, but I believe it can be returned to its former glory, with the help of dwarven craftsmanship. And what do you offer in return, Hoog said? I don't make one-sided deals. I'm willing to offer my services. Your abandoned mines are clearly overrun with monsters. I can thin their number for you in return. The High Thane stroked his beard. Still seems one-sided. You strike me as a dwarf that knows how to hedge his bets. Why else would you host a summit for the Northern Kingdoms, yet not take part in it? There may come a time when you'll need a few thankful witchers on your side. How much is that possibility worth to you? Hoog rested his head on his fist and grinned. Tell me, how old are you? 135. I've lived twice that, Hoog mused. I can provide you the workers to rebuild Hern Kedik. But in return, you remain on my retainer for the rest of the summit. I imagine you'll be quite busy. As you say, the abandoned mines have become overrun. The Witcher nodded. I accept. 
Good. I'll prepare the contract. In the meantime, there's a nest of Neckers in the abandoned Arlac copper mine. Go clear them out. Now the Witcher grinned. That was something he could do. With pleasure. I fear we've lost the plot, Professor Strill said. Let's return to the summit proper, shall we? Tell us, Joanna, about the Pontar Valley question. The real sticking point, Joanna thought. All the books she'd read on the Mahakam summit of 1272 said that this was what the delegations debated for most of the three weeks that they met. The Pontar Valley divided the north from east to west, covering southern Redania, northern Temeria, southern Kedwin, and northern Edern. The region in question, however, was the contested territory nestled on the border of Edern and Kedwin. In addition to being strategically located, it was also the breadbasket of the north, supplying over half of all the northern kingdom's food. The Pontar Valley was under Edernian control, Joanna started, as it had been for the previous 300 years. The only exception was the brief period during the Second Northern War, where Kedwin occupied the region. They were forced to return it to Edern during the Peace of Sintra, but King Hensolt of Kedwin made it clear that he would only agree to a northern alliance if Kedwin regained the Pontar Valley. This was, of course, non-negotiable for Edern. Indeed, it might have sunk the entire summit had it not been for the quick thinking of Duke Haggard of Molderwood, head of the Edernian delegation. So this is one of Jeremiah's oldest friends, Ethramel thought, as Duke Haggard shuffled into the room and slumped into a chair opposite the sorcerer. He sighed and rubbed his eyes. Dark bags had formed under them. Ethramel understood his exhaustion. For the past week and a half, the sorcerer had been running around the summit, trying to settle the Pontar question in his own way. Ethramel believed he finally had the solution. Thank you for seeing me, Duke Haggard, he said. I know you're a busy man. Haggard scoffed and poured himself a glass of water. Jeremiah said this was urgent, but I'll warn you I don't have much time. Let us get to the point. Let's. The one thing holding this summit up is deciding who will control the eastern half of the Pontar Valley. Edern has the claim, but Duke Edind of Kedwin is remarkably persistent. That whoremonger, Haggard muttered under his breath. Kedwin will never give up that fight. They're the damned reason King Stennis is keeping such a force in the Pontar Valley, instead of fighting Nilfgaard in the south. I believe I can get Temeria to support your claim to the Pontar, Ethramel said, which will put pressure on Redania to capitulate as well. So long as they get to command the Allied forces, at least in name, They'll work to make sure an alliance is reached. Kedwin will have to back down if the others support your kingdom. Duke Haggard scratched at the grey stubble on his cheeks. Oh? What makes you so sure you can convince Tamaria? You're not even Tamarian. Because me and my friend Tobias of Alander see eye to eye on a great many things, Ethramel thought. He's an understanding opportunist like myself, and the business proposition I've offered him is too great an opportunity to pass up, even for control of the Pontar. Ethramel said, I have close connections there. It's in Temeria's best interest to support Edern anyway. You're both fighting the black cloaks off in your kingdom, after all. A ghost of a smile touched Haggard's lips. But? Oh, don't give me that look. There's always a catch. What does Temeria want in return for their support? They want Edern to station a sizable force at the Mahakam Pass near Mount Carbon. As you know, if the black cloaks get control of that mountain road... They can march right into southern Temeria and reinforce their western army. Temeria would like you to be the bulwark and keep the eastern army bottled up in Edern. What do you mean when you say sizable force? Well, that depends on how many soldiers you can spare. 
Duke Haggard paused, slowly rotating his left shoulder. Jeremiah's told me little about you, other than that you've been traveling together for a handful of months. His word is the only reason I've taken this meeting with you. So tell me plainly, why are you looking to help Edern? Because I need this plowing alliance to succeed long enough to get those trade routes on the Pontar River open, Ethramel thought. Only then can my little business venture get up and running. But Ethramel said, I was born in the Duchy of Doblathana, back when it was an independent elven kingdom. Still, I feel a close bond to my Edernian neighbors. And since my home is technically under Eden's sovereignty now, I feel compelled to help. This was the moment everything depended on, Ethramel thought. The fate of his smuggling plans in the Pontar Valley turned on the trust of a worn-out duke. For a guarantee of the Pontar Valley's status quo, Haggard said after a moment's consideration, I can personally divert 500 of my own levied soldiers to defend the mouth of the Mahakam Mountains. King Stennis will be furious, of course, but he'll accept the terms, though it will mean I have to take personal command of this force. Will that be acceptable? It was better than Athermel expected, but he screwed his mouth to one side of his face and said slowly, I shall do my best to get Temeria to agree. If they do, I suspect you'll be asked to propose the compromise. I think we've reached the end of the documentation, Professor Strill said to Joanna. Before we briefly adjourn for discussion, do you have anything you wish to add? To Tabek of Nilfgaard, located in Crag Ross, and for his eyes only. I cannot express the surprise I felt when Crit Drummond, that upstart whelp, reached out to me about this scheme of yours. I would have denied your request outright, had you not included a short list of sorcerers, witches, and druids who have expressed interest in joining your venture. You clearly put work into reaching out to them, and that deserves respect. I am open to joining your magical ranks, provided this new order of practitioners shows promise. We all agree the wild hunt needs to be investigated further, but there's no point in wasting anyone's time with petty squabbling and infighting. To show my good faith, I am happy to host the first official meeting at my home on the island of Ard Skellig. Finally, I do believe we'll have to come up with a name for our new little magical organization. I believe the Lodge of Sorceresses would be in poor taste, don't you? These things can be hashed out during our first official meeting. One month hence. Signed, Ragdra Hunisdotter, first of the Druidic Circle of the Skellige Isles. Tobek sighed with relief and slowly folded the letter. He was glad he had asked both Zevo and Ethramel for any users of power they knew, who might be interested in studying the Wild Hunt. They both produced a short list, and Tobek had sent out a dozen letters to their last known locations over the last two weeks. He received only a few positive responses, but it was enough to secure the first druid of Skellige. Not bad, eh, Tab? Crit Drummond said. He leaned back and kicked his legs up on the tavern table. Ragdra can be right prickly if you don't know how to talk to her. Fortunately, she's always liked my spunk. Tobek nodded. He was getting better at understanding Crit's thick accent. The Skelliger's assistance also proved instrumental in providing a home base for this new magical venture of his. Tobek rubbed the side of his neck. A brief craving for blood, a carryover from possessing the Anapheli, touched the back of his throat, and his mouth watered. He licked his cracked lips and reread the letter. The list of people interested in his new magical circle was woefully small. If such an order was to be successful, he would need help from a powerful sorcerer or sorceress someone who had been wielding power far longer than Tabek, and could offer their guidance. He could only think of one such person in Crag Ross. When should we set sail for the Skelligan Isles? Tabek asked Crit. 
Crit drummed the scarred table with his forefingers. Soon as possible, ideally. It'll take at least a week to reach our ships in Sidorus, and a few days to sail to the Isles. Can we spare another week? I've a bit more business to attend to here. I still need to secure Yana's assistance in this venture. Suit yourself. Crit pulled out a dagger and started flipping it in the air, catching it by the blade. Real glad I met you, Tab. This summit's so a true bore, and no one's interested in fighting the Black Cloaks head-on anytime soon, so I'm happy to settle for fighting the Wild Hunt. That's not what I had in mind, Tabak said. I wanted to form a group of magic users interested in studying the Wild Hunt. I doubt we'll ever be able to physically fight them. Never say never, Tab. Crit flipped the dagger up and let it land blade side down in the table. Never say never. I'm going to murder somebody. Welcome home, Isabel. Sounds like the committee meeting went well. Does it bloody look like it, Witcher? Are all Kedweni such thick-headed fools? Duke Edend is holding this whole damned thing up with his insistence on controlling the Pontar Valley. I thought Tamaria and Redania threw their support behind Edern. How can Kedwen hold everything up when they're outvoted? Because there are procedures, apparently. They'll lose in the end, but they're happy to drag things out for as long as possible. I think they want Nilfgaard to conquer Edern before this summit's over, so the whole question is moot. If the issue's decided upon, why are you mad? Because I want to be. Fix me a drink, would you, Zevo? Oh, what happened to your leg? It's nothing. No one bandages their whole thigh for nothing. A damned cockatrice in the defunct Sirhan goldmine got me during its death throes. I should have been more careful. I'll say. Let me take a look. Seems it tore out quite a chunk. Is your groin okay? I should hate for something to have happened to it. It's fine. Come have your drink. I will. But lie down with me first. Come on. I've had a stressful day and want someone to hold, dammit. That's nice. Has anyone ever told you you have the most comfortable shoulder to lie on? Once or twice, from a few fair maidens I rescued from a tower. Come off it. I've decided I like you more as the silent type. Big and strong and comfortable to lie on. When did you decide this? Just now. Shush, I'm relaxing. Isabel, are you awake? Hmm? What is it? It's just... Never mind. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.